What would it take to arouse your life, to experience more connection, more pleasure, more realness in and outside of the bedroom? I'm August McLaughlin, and this is Girl Boner Radio. How can boundaries and communication enhance your sex life? What does body awareness have to do with consent? And can cheating be a form of sexual assault? We're going to explore these topics and more today with expert Dr. Alexandra Katahakis. With Dr. Megan Fleming's help, we'll also weigh in for a listener who says every time he has sex with his wife, it feels like she's doing him a favor. Before we dive in, I have some fun news to share from our friends at Beducated. They're offering a brand new program called Beducated All Access. For a special price of $19 a month, you can access all of their current and upcoming courses, sexpert email support, monthly Q&A calls, and more. And soon the price will go up about 30%. They're also offering a free 14-day trial. Besides the female orgasm course for anyone with a vulva I reviewed here in December, Beducated course topics include squirting, sex positions, rope bondage, and more. The video tutorials are lighthearted and fun, and they're full of practical tips, and the real people demonstrations are very helpful. You can still save $20 on the female orgasm course, too. For that, use the code GIRLBONER, no space, at checkout. Just head to beducated.com forward slash all dash access or click the link in the show notes to learn more. I also want to really quickly share about three events happening here in Los Angeles for anyone who's in the area in the coming uh, week or so. On Valentine's Day, February 14th, check out the Best Women's Erotica of the Year, Volume 5, Reading and Signing at Skylight Books with editor Rachel Kramer-Bussell and five contributing authors. They are going to have a sex toy giveaway sponsored by Uberlube and The Wand, and the event is free. If you'd like to spend Valentine's Day evening laughing your hiney off, don't miss Hung Young Terrorist, Rosebud Baker, and more comedians for Thin Ice, the Dojo Annex at Sycamore Tavern. If you're bummed to miss these awesome folks, don't worry, because I will be featuring Rachel, several several of her anthologies, erotica writers, and rapper-comedian Hung Young Terrorist in upcoming episodes. And lastly, I would love to see you on February 16th at 3 p.m. at Diesel Bookstore in Brentwood for a live Girl Boner Radio recording with psychologist Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Her latest book, Taking Sexy Back, How to Own Your Sexuality and Create the Relationships You Want, is wonderful. So please, please come if you can. I'm so pleased to welcome now Alexandra Katahakis to the show. Alex is a clinical sexologist and clinical director of Center for Healthy Sex in Los Angeles, a certified sex addiction therapist and supervisor, certified sex therapist, supervisor, and most recently, author of Sex Addiction as Affect Dysregulation, a Neurobiologically Informed Holistic Treatment. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, August. I'd love to hear a little bit about your personal journey. Looking back on your upbringing, your childhood, mm-hmm. what's a memory or a lesson you learned about sex and sexuality? Well, unfortunately, I, like many people, had to learn those lessons by myself because sex and sexuality weren't talked about in my household much 
at all. I mean, I don't recall any of it. Um, I recall learning about my menstrual period by way of a film at school in the sixth grade and then having to come home and tell my mother that I watched this film. Um, And so it went in an inverse way. Instead of the parent sort of stewarding the child and getting her ready for this, um, it's just something I learned in public with my peers. And that's kind of how I learned about sex also. It was really experimental. Um, It was me... Um, doing with most what most kids do because around uh, the age of puberty when all these hormones are coming online and it's a biological directive to start to explore one's body and sexuality, um, I started doing it the way other kids were doing it and that was with each other. Um, this was pre-internet porn, of course, so we didn't have that to instruct us, I would say probably thankfully. Um, but certainly I started jumping out my bedroom window and having sex with boys and um, kind of figuring it out as I went along. That's really interesting. Did you know what a period was before you had that experience in school? No, and I don't even remember hearing about it because sixth grade is like 12 years old, right? So that can be early for some and late for others. Uh, but I really don't recall. And I had a, an older sister, and I still don't remember having hints of it even. Do you remember how you felt? Because I remember learning it wasn't until that class, the equivalent that I had, that I realized that like about a quarter of much of the rest of my life it just didn't sound fun. I mean, I, it wasn't presented in a... It was presented in a neutral way, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I didn't really go away with any sort of inspiration or good feelings. Yeah, no. This idea that, you know, the, your body was going to start bleeding. And, um, I mean, that just sounds dangerous and horrible at some level. Right. Like some horror movie you've seen or right. something. And yeah. you're not going to be able to play sports or swim or <laughs> all these other weird sort of wives' tales. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At what point did you know that you wanted to pursue this um, area of expertise in your in your life? Well, um, because I was so sexual so early and um, so easily sexual, you know, many, many women struggle with orgasm and arousal, and that was just not the body I had. My body was ready, willing, and able, and um, it was always pleasurable for me. I didn't have any pelvic pain or anything like that. Um, I just kept experimenting, um, you know, well into my 20s. Um, And then it got to a point where I realized I didn't know what it meant to have a long-term committed relationship. And what did it mean to have a long-term committed relationship that was sexual and even more so erotic over time? And so when that's how I got interested in human sexuality um, and why I started to explore it um, as a specialty in my therapeutic practices. Beautiful. You shared uh, with me the ABCs of consent. And I was as I was thinking about these terms, awareness, boundaries, communication, it really struck me how powerful they are for consent and also how incredible they are for pleasure and connection. Mm. They're also intertwined. I wonder if you could speak to each of them. Talk to us about awareness and the role that plays in, in consent and and than pleasure. Yeah, unfortunately, I think um, a lot of young people really don't have awareness about their sexual pleasure. They sort of get drunk and kind of slam their bodies together and see what happens. Um, And that, of course, gets into problems because you can't consent when you're drunk and all of that. But really, how aware um, are you of your body? 
what do you like? What kind of touch do you like? What kind of pressure do you like? What parts of the body do you like being touched? Where don't you like being touched? And are you curious about why you don't be, uh, like being touched there? And, and what do you want from a sexual experience? I think a lot of people don't know. And more importantly, I think it changes over time. I think it changes from maybe year to year, but certainly from decade to decade, um, of the quality of experience one wants to have sexually. Um, And then what especially do you need to feel safe in order to have sex? Because um, our brains are wired for, you know, salience seeking and certainly for safety and danger. And women especially, men too, but women especially need to know that they're safe so they can surrender. And without surrender and giving up control, you can't have an orgasm. That's true, which is interesting because if you ask a lot of people what they want out of an experience, they may just say orgasm. Right. Right. But how do you the, get to that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that relaxation is so important in how are we relaxed Relaxed and excited, you know, at the same time as like this beautiful um, intertwining, you know, emotional dance that happens. But if we're not feeling safe, that's just like a just kind of hits the brakes on things for a lot of people and physically, too. And that's a physiological um, proposition that you talked about, this notion of being relaxed and aroused at the same time. I mean, these are encoded in the autonomic nervous system. Um, and that is essential for women to get up over the arousal threshold. They have to be able to do both. So if your brain is on high alert, um, for example, you're not going to be able to have that experience. So I think it's important for women to take care of themselves, for them to set the stage for the kind of sex they want to have, the kind of experience they want to have, and how we communicate it to our partners, whether it's another female or a male, Um, to be able to say, this is what I like, this is what I need, um, and so that we're taking responsibility for our sex and sexuality. Uh, Because all too often, I think women um, easily can, you know, sort of surrender to, if we're talking heterosexually, the guy, and then if the guy's not taking care of us, we get angry at them. Um, But it's important for us to own our part in our sex lives. That's really true. Yes, that is absolutely true. What about boundaries? I we hear a lot about, you know, standing strong in your nose and and I think a lot of us know kind of the basic of of what that means. But when it comes to sex, there there are so many boundaries beyond yes or no. I want to have sex, I don't want to have mm-hmm. sex. Yeah, so does do you even know what a boundary is? Um, there are physical boundaries. There are internal boundaries. It's a sense we have of what we will and won't cross internally. And uh, again, very, very often women will collapse those boundaries because they don't want the other person to feel bad or they say no, but that person, you know, if it's a male, keeps saying, oh, come on, or just a little bit more. And, you know, he's just thinking about one thing. And again, some of this is gender related, not completely. Um, And he's thinking about one thing, and she's thinking about 5,000 things, about should I, shouldn't I, how am I going to feel afterwards, I didn't really want to do this. And so going into a sexual experience, knowing what your boundaries are, what will you do on the first date, the second date, the third date, and holding to it for yourself um, allows us as women to not be victims or be victimized Mm. because we're stalwart in knowing what's okay and what isn't for us. And it doesn't matter what the other person thinks or how it makes them feel. Uh, It's so interesting. And the gender piece, 
I feel like so many of the messages we have absorbed play such a big role in this, right? That we, if you learn that, you know, um, that you have to always be nice and polite mm-hmm. and, you know, the messages that, that girls and women tend to receive and that men tend to receive the message of like almost conquest, yes, you know, that those yeah. two things are so um, opposing and don't really foster that that relaxation you were talking about either. Or honoring the masculine and the feminine in a real way because, you know, if the feminine, if the masculine in nature is really to protect the feminine, and I'm talking about nature itself, um, and the feminine worships the masculine. When you think about flowers coming from the earth as a feminine energy um, and they're opening to and worshiping the sun, which is a masculine energy, um, certainly mythologically, you see these polarities in nature. But it doesn't mean that one's crushing the other or one is dominating the other. And so if we can start to respect each other and our differences, because men also Um, aren't always just dying to have sex with anything that moves, which is a mythology. Many, many men feel like they want to be connected um, and have a sense of comfort themselves so their anxiety is lower so they can be sexual. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for pointing that out. I I definitely – I hear from so many men who feel um, stifled by those same messages because then they – we all want to have this, you know, intimate life that feels emotionally meaningful. And uh, and certainly, you know, we can, regardless of our gender, have those needs and wants. And if we aren't given the permission to voice them, that's that's really difficult for sure. I'd love to bring in a listener question because it ties so well into okay. uh, these, these points that you're bringing up. This question uh, came anonymously through my website, which anyone can submit at uh, the contact tab. And the person wrote this. I'm not making this up. Every time I have sex with my wife, it feels like she's doing me a favor. I would do anything to help my wife have an orgasm. I've tried fingering her. Most times she does not let me. And as soon as it feels good, she quickly tells me to enter her. She does not let me go down on her or suck her breasts. I have never gotten a blowjob from her. And since we are married, 99% of the sex... 99% of sex we have been has been the same position. Additionally, my wife has never pleasured herself. What can you do to help? I kind of giggled a little bit just because like that presumption, you know, if you're married, you always use the same position, which is one of those messages. I think so many of us have learned. So that's not unusual at all. Um, Here is what Dr. Megan Fleming had to say. So, you know, for, for so many of us, whether it's sort of the guilt or shame that's often so prevalent in our culture, it could be the particular messages she got from her own family, and in some cases, perhaps, a uh, history of a sexual trauma. It's, it's quite, you know, complicated, and there are many reasons women are sort of shut down from their own knowing and owning their sexual pleasure. In fact, it's part of my own passion and interest in why I created my online group, Building Your Sensual Life. Because, you know, so many women like your wife, it's like they understand that there's importance of sex in a healthy relationship and she is focused on your pleasure and she is being, in a sense, dutiful, but she's completely disconnected and doesn't see her own there. And the other piece you're sharing um, is that, you know, you both have children under two kids under the age of 10. And so I can say for many women they um, are sort of running on empty at the end of the day. There's sort of this expression, sort of the touched out syndrome where, you know, sort of all those needs for attachment, closeness, and, you know, affection 
and touch have already been met. So she's really got nothing left at the end of the day. And so certainly those are things that I really work with women to recognize the value of conserving energy and um, what it looks like to not be in a place where you have nothing left because that doesn't serve anyone, especially the woman herself. Um, and so there's really sort of two parts here. One is that it's really, from my perspective, it's like you're trying to lead her to the well, right? Helping her to explore and know and own and discover, right? Her own turn-ons and her own pleasure. Um, so it doesn't feel like she's you know, going through the motions because I can appreciate on your side of the street from your perspective, because I hear again this from so many men um, and also women, depending on the nature of the particular relationship that, um, you know, when your partner's not into it, the point is, it, you know, this expression in our culture, it's like a dead fish and it really ultimately is sort of sex that doesn't feel worth having. And so it's so important that your partner knows that when you're going to come to her with this Q&A that you're really coming from a good place, right? This is from the intention of, I really want more for you because I know more is possible. And so I'm going to give you two self-help resources, two great books that I think is an amazing place to start um, because you really want to start the conversation, how to have the conversation and the exploration of the many different reasons she's not sort of connected to her own turn-ons. So the first is a book that just recently was released and it's by Alexander Solomon. In fact, uh, August is going to be interviewing her live at a bookstore next week. And her book is called Taking Sexy Back, How to Own Your Sexuality and Create the Relationships You Want. Uh, which again, it just came out and I love it and I'm already recommending it to all of my clients. And the other, which has been out and might feel a little bit heavier in terms of the science, um, is Emily Nagasaki, Come As You Are, The Surprising New Science That Will Transform Your Sex Life. Because Emily really speaks a lot to understanding the role of low desire and uh, the differences between responsive desire and spontaneous desire. Again, both of these are two amazing, great resources to help you in the next direction. And the other piece is to always recognize the role of a qualified ASEX certified sex therapist, because the reality is you have two kids under 10 and you have the rest of your lives together. And you know that more is possible. You know, it's my passion, of course, for every couple to create their own version of a great life with great sex. So I just want you to know that there's so many resources available and really it's about coming together to create a vision so that you're both on the same page of even to get into the mindset of knowing what is possible. And the other recommendation I would make for you, and honestly any woman who's struggling to know or own her pleasure, is my own uh, Building Your Sensual Life six-week intensive. In fact, it starts on the 18th, so there's still time to register. I can assure you, uh, you know, a small group of women coming together with sort of the same challenges, discovering their own turn-ons, really honestly is a game-changer. And then, of course, for those who aren't interested in a group or that kind of time commitment, um, I also offer my Pleasure RX, which gives you and anyone listening, uh, one-time laser coaching, working directly with me to create your own curated sort of personalized self-help plan. So to access either of those, the first would be to go to my website, greatlifegreatsex.com forward slash sensual. And the other is greatlifegreatsex.com forward slash rx. Um, both of these programs, I can assure you, really are game changers. And if you have any questions, you could always reach out to me. Um, and as always, would love to hear how it goes. 
Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. As I was reading that question, I really wondered about the conversations that this couple has been having. And that's why I wanted to hear your thoughts on the the communication piece kind of tied into this as Mm -hmm. well. Um, But do you have any additional thoughts to add for this? Well, my guess is they're actually not talking about it. Um, And there is now probably a pretty wicked dynamic between the two of them um, where he's in the position of being a beggar and he will take whatever he can get. Um, And she's now in a position of, you know, in some ways, um, you know, she sort of has a male on the ropes in that way. And so this doesn't sound like a very happy marriage to me. And my guess is that this dynamic also plays out in their day-to-day life as well. Uh, where she's constantly putting him off and he's running behind her because he sounds very, very eager to please and she seems disinterested in what he has to give. So I would also posit, and again, this is a hypothesis, that there are probably a lot of resentments between this couple too. Um, And that's why communication is so important because if you're not talking about your wants and needs, um, if you're not talking about you know, sex and sexuality, then you can't possibly have a good sex life. Yeah. Yeah, it is really, really key. And it's something that so many people uh, struggle with even beginning, even when there isn't an issue happening. I found it interesting, too, some of the phrasing um, that this person used about, I've never gotten a blowjob from her, almost like there is this expectation of currency, like, you owe me this, and I, and that spoke to the resentment you mentioned. I think. Yeah, I mean, there's a. It's more about reciprocity. If I do this for you, then you should right. do it for me. And sex shouldn't be that way. Yeah, um, we should be giving because we want to give, and we should be open to receiving also. And receiving is a much more vulnerable position in sex than giving is. And so what I make up is that this woman is not open to being receptive, vulnerable with him. She sort of just wants to get it over with. Um, and is kind of servicing him to get him off her back. Um, And he has resentment about that, and she's kind of rolling her eyes. Um, And I hate to paint such an awful picture, but um, as uh, uh, Fleming said, yes, I mean, likely she has issues around sex and sexuality that she's not facing. And so to expect our partners to live with those kind of limitations um, is really not love. It's just saying, I have these limitations, you need to leave, live with them, and that um, doesn't make for a very happy relationship. It's very true, and I'm sure there are many people who are relating to what you're describing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, how how do we begin to voice our desires? I guess it sounds like there are many steps even before that. If you're, if you're living with a lot of um, resentment, maybe shame around your sexuality, maybe lack of information from limited sex ed, there can be so many layers to this. What are this? What are some of the steps to getting to that place where you can voice your your desires? Well, I think the first thing is the person has to be willing to challenge themselves and say, "This is going to be uncomfortable." You know, many many things in life that are worth having are uncomfortable. Whether it's learning a new language or dance step or um, having to recycle because we have planetary issues, I mean, it's not comfortable. So, 
Um, if somebody is so uncomfortable they can't manage it, they should seek therapy and they should seek professional help where they can start to talk about what they don't even know they need to talk about. And then once they get practiced at that, it's sitting down with your partner and saying, you know, I want to talk to you about some things and I'm going to ask you to please not get defensive because this is about me. This is where I'm scared. This is where my struggles are. This is where I'm unsure of this marriage or I don't know if we're a good fit or I never really looked at my sex life before we got married, and now we're having sex, and I don't really like it, and I'm afraid to tell you. Mm. You see, it's about being so transparent and present in the moment. That's what intimacy is. Mm. Yeah, it sounds so vulnerable in a really important way. Yeah. Yeah, and normalizing that, normalizing that it's challenging and uncomfortable, I think is so helpful for people to hear because it can feel like you're the only one who feels that way if the depictions of sex you're seeing, because you're probably not talking about sex to your friends either then, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you see these um, romances on TV that look like, oh, all all hot and steamy and it's easy and it's quick and and that's just not reality. And maybe your friends are talking about having fun sex or great sex and that creates more shame Mm. like, oh, I'm just a dud or my marriage is a dud or I just want to avoid that and not talk about it. And the longer people avoid it, the worse it gets. Mm. And then ultimately, somebody goes outside of the relationship, and it creates even a bigger mess. Yeah, absolutely. Going back to um, the ABCs of consent, the communication piece in that context, how can we be better about voicing our boundaries? As you said, we need to know what our boundaries are. Mm -hmm. Um, And then once we know what they are, how do we go about communicating them? Well, I think the best thing is to, you know, first of all, figure out what they are. Um, And that goes back to understanding your own pleasure, how your body works, your anatomy, your physiology. I mean, more and more today, I think um, if we just look at what's happening in the world of diet and nutrition, um, we're moving away from diets and looking more at intuitive eating. So just getting smart about what works for this body in terms of food, pleasure, what I like sexually, what I don't, and to be curious about what you don't like sexually and why it is you don't like it as opposed to just saying, I don't like that, so I'm not doing it. Yes. That's or, that's a whole new level, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. That seems really, really valuable and important for sure. And I think the process could be fun too. I mean, it sounds, especially at the beginning or if you're dealing with a lot of challenges, I, I respect the challenges and the difficulty and the, the vulnerable feelings. But I'm also getting a sense of adventure. Like it opens the door to a curiosity. Like, what do I want? Yes. I mean, I think sex is the portal to our humanity in so many ways, and it gets ignored in large part. Um, we certainly aren't educated about it um, in the, for the most part from the time we're young. But there's something incredibly integrating and liberating about embracing our sexuality, embracing pleasure, making pleasure part of our daily life. And not just sexual pleasure, but the pleasure of, you know, the way we make a cup of tea or the way that we draw a bath or the way that we prepare food. All of these things are about bringing, um, if you will, Tantra into everyday life where you're embracing 
um, the beauty of life, the lusciousness and deliciousness of life. So it really depends on where ground zero is for someone. If somebody's struggling because they were profoundly sexually abused as children, they have a different road ahead of them. Um, if somebody's just at a place where they feel like, yeah, I'm not really reaching my sexual potential, then I would invite you to look at how you are bringing sensuality into all areas of your life and where you want to go from here and how you explore your own personal self. Mm. Yes, that journey sounds really valuable. And and I love how it does extend so far beyond sex. As you said, yes. when the issues seem like they're all about sex, they really are usually not, right? Mm-hmm. It's it, And on the flip side, the benefits also will ripple. When you're working on your sex life, when you're working on pleasure in your daily life, it's um, it's amazing how far that can reach. Yeah, I would agree because then you're living a life of beauty, of sensuality, mm-hmm. um, of what I would call lusciousness in all areas of your life. And you're meeting people with that kind of open-heartedness. Yeah, 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 open-heartedness. That's really powerful. You've shared that um, that when somebody is, is violated, when consent is broken, um, when someone is, is cheated on, that you've heard from many people that it feels like sexual assault, like it actually can feel like you were assaulted. And I thought, found that very thought-provoking, and so I polled some of my listeners online, and they were pretty, they were kind of split. About half people were saying, I don't think that that would feel like an assault or be an assault. About half were saying, yes, absolutely, that mm-hmm. would feel like an assault. I heard from a few people who've gone through experiences where they were cheated on, and and those were mixed, too. Um, One uh, man in particular told me that he had been cheated on and that, you know, it was horrible and painful and all these things. Um, He didn't quite put it on the same level of sexual assault, but he said he could see how it could get to that point. So uh, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of nuance, I'm sure, and, and I'm sure it depends, too, anytime someone feels assaulted, it's up to the person to define, right? Um, but I'm curious about that, if you could share some more about that that happening and, and those experiences that you're hearing about. Sure. Well, keep in mind that um, I am both an ASEX certified sex therapist, um, a clinical sexologist, and I'm certified as a sex addiction therapist. And oftentimes those camps are at war with each other. But I'll tell you that I see people who have had single incident affairs And um, those people don't necessarily feel like they were sexually assaulted. They feel betrayed. They're brokenhearted. And it can be as devastating as somebody who's been cheating on somebody for 20 years without them knowing it. But the people that have been married 20, 40 years and their partners have never been faithful and they've gotten STIs from them and they learn the depth and breadth of the sexual addiction and compulsivity, those women, they're typically older, you know, in their 50s and 60s, will report feeling like they have been sexually assaulted and raped and had sex with all these people they didn't know or even know they were having sex with. Now, of course, they're not literally having sex with them, but they've been exposed to, you know, scores of people that they were not consenting to um, and then contaminated themselves by getting diseases or infections. So as you say, it is nuanced. It's not one size fits all. It's different for everybody. But we don't want to minimize the impact of intimate betrayal on people uh, because it's egregious and it's highly traumatizing to some. And 
you know, there are therapists even that will say, well, that person just needs to get over it and they need to move on. And it's not that easy when the attachment system has been assaulted in that way Mm. and the physical body, too. Yes. Would you briefly speak to, I know there's so much we could talk about with attachment, but for someone who doesn't quite know um, what that means, uh, what is that in, in a relationship? Well, I mean, human beings are biologically encoded to attach. In fact, if we don't attach, we die in infancy because infants are completely dependent on caregivers for um, both their central and autonomic nervous system and every other nervous system and organ to be brought to fruition in an optimal way. So the infant requires touch, tone of voice, eye contact, gesture, Um, all of the senses being engaged, so their systems start to uh, come alive, so they start to form appropriately. And that attachment is what creates, quote, security. Um, So when the parent responds to the child in a contingent way, its nervous system is regulated, so it has good heart rate variability, it's able to rest and digest, and that makes for a secure adult. When that infant is not getting that kind of care, um, and they are neglected, or there are repeated, um, you know, ruptures to their care, and it's not repaired, you're going to get an anxious child, a depressed child. This is a dysregulated child, and one who is not secure over time. And then you get into a relationship as an adult, and you expect that person to be the person that takes care of you, that has your back, that says. Uh, that's telling you the truth, that does what they say they're going to do. And we attach to those persons. And it's a neurobiological attachment, meaning our brains grow dendrites. Our systems feel regulated when that person's in our presence. Um, When they're not in our presence, we can be very dysregulated. We can miss people. Um, Depending on your style of attachment will depend on how you do when that person is absent. Um, and also how you do when you come back together again. Mm. Um, so they're our person. That becomes our person. Yeah. And when that person lies to us and they lie in a profound and ongoing way, it feels like we have literally had an arm cut off. It's physically painful to the organism because we are so deeply attached and connected. So when that attachment is um, ruptured uh, and perhaps bringing up a lot of old wounds as well and changing your whole life and the reality of what you thought your relationship was, Mm -hmm. um, probably grieving the future of what you thought the relationship would be, uh, whether whether or not you end up staying together or not, I think those are just um, profound challenges. What are some of the um, initial steps a person needs to take to start um, the, the healing process, because it sounds, again, like this is also a very isolating or feels very isolating experience. Yeah. Well, it's usually isolating because of the shame. I mean, women especially and men too just feel incredibly ashamed that they would stay with someone that has treated them so poorly. So um, there are studies that show that women tend to isolate. They don't reach out for help. And unfortunately, they start to experience both acute stress and sometimes post-traumatic stress symptoms. So vomiting, diarrhea, inability to sleep, sleeping too much, crying incessantly, eating compulsively, not eating. Um, flashbacks, you name it. So 
it's really important that people seek help immediately from a professional, and and I would say really a certified sex addiction therapist because they understand the magnitude of this trauma, um, and they treat partners very gently and carefully as if they've been in a massive accident, as opposed to someone who doesn't really grok the depth and breadth of this destruction. Mm. Um, and then getting support, getting into a group of other people where the, the, they've suffered intimate betrayal. So they start to hear stories like, oh, I'm not alone. And I can talk about, you know, how much I, you know, want to strangle my partner metaphorically, but how much I also love them and don't want to leave them. Um, and know that if they get help and I get help and we get help together, we can repair this into something good. Mm. Yes, the the giving breath and air and room for your feelings and, right. and saying it's okay to have all these feelings. You don't have to have one style of feeling. You have to all be for this person or against this person. Right, it's and it, that can be confusing. It can yeah. be really confusing that one day I love you, I hate you, don't leave me, get out of my sight. Yeah. And then, you know, you tell your sisters or your mother and they're like, get rid of him. We don't ever want to see him again. And you don't want to hear that either. Yes. So yeah. you need a neutral place with, a, you know, a therapist again and a group that completely understands the roller coaster of the problem. Yes. And you mentioned specifically somebody who specializes in sex addiction. You also mentioned um, the the arguments and some of the controversy. Mm-hmm. And I, I find this really fascinating because I, you know, a lot of people in sex education don't, they they see sex addiction being used in ways um, to, like, justify behaviors or right. being, like, anti-sex. Yeah. And um, and I certainly understand the if somebody is anti-sex and they think that because somebody has sexual desire that, therefore, they're addicted, you know, there it's are absurd. extremes. It's right. absurd. It's absurd. It's totally absurd. Um, I've had a really hard time in my own communities um, hearing people say that, like, porn addiction and sex addiction are just a bunch of hoo-ha because – one of the biggest reasons is because I feel that when you're struggling with something, it's not up to somebody else to tell you whether or not it's legitimate. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like um, I've used eating disorders as an example because yeah. that's something I went through. And I know that bulimia didn't even have a, a name uh, until like the 70s, I right, think. Right. Um, so I thought, wow, imagine if before the 70s. You didn't have a name for it. And then when you did, someone said, that's not real. Right. That's how it feels to me. Sure. Um, could you speak to the um, the legitimacy you see in sex addiction? Yeah. I think, first of all, we've got reams of, you know, peer-reviewed journal articles and data um, about how this impacts, you know, how this is an adaptive strategy, let's put it that way. So therefore, it is a place where people feel out of control. But um, like you, it doesn't matter to me what we call these things. What matters is that we give people the help that they need. And so to negate somebody's experience is really perpetrating a form of violence on them. But my experience in my professional community with sex addiction therapists is no one is letting anybody off the hook for bad behavior. It's not a euphemism for being a jerk or bad behavior. And if you've ever really looked at someone in front of you who says, I'm a sex addict, this is not funny or fun. It is dour and extraordinarily painful and hugely shameful. And oftentimes the argument is, well, that person wouldn't 
be calling themselves a sex addict if they didn't have shame around the behaviors they're engaging in. So if you just normalize the behaviors, they'll be fine. But that's not true either, and it's somewhat reductive. Because if somebody is engaging in a particular sex act that they feel shame about, of course we want to say, why do you feel shameful about that? And is that really a shameful activity, or did somebody tell you along the way that that was dirty, wrong, or bad, and help normalize whatever their particular interests are? But if it's compulsive and it's out of control and it's against their integrity, we want to help that person stop whatever it is, whether it's shopping or overeating or sex or gambling or you name it. Absolutely. For someone who's listening and is in that place, the dark place of, of struggling with sex addiction, um, or whatever the term that they're using, compulsions, et cetera, uh, what um, good news can you share with them about the healing process? I imagine because you specialize, you've, you are part of and witness the, the healing and the growth and the, the good that can come from that self-work and working with a professional. Well, I would say that people that are sexually addicted or compulsive are some of the bravest people I've ever met. And I've watched people change their lives to something good and true and beautiful, um, coming out of the depths of, you know, hellacious shame and feeling like they're broken and dirty and wrong. Um, And this really impacts women in that way. Women have so much shame about sexually compulsive behaviors. So there's tons of help, especially in L.A. I mean, there's a 12-step meeting probably right now now for sex and love addiction happening. So you can get free help. There are lots and lots of therapists that can help. And within 30, 60, 90 days, I promise you, um, if you follow treatment recommendations, you will feel better and that you can stop these destructive behaviors. Um, And that's the other place I think where sex addiction treatment gets misunderstood is it gets called a sex negative or abstinence model because we do recommend that people stop the behaviors right, for a period of time, 30, 60, 90 days, depending on the person. And then we start to tease out, like, what worked, what didn't work, what makes you feel good, what's arousing to you, what makes you feel dirty, why does it make you feel dirty, Uh, to create a sexual health plan that is vital and erotic and exciting for people. Mm. Um, And in fact, I've written two books about this. One is Erotic Intelligence. Um, And the second one is a workbook called Sexual Reflections that spun out of my dissertation that really has people look at, hey, what did you like about your sexual acting out? What turns you on? Um, What's okay for you? What isn't? And let's make a plan and let's celebrate that as opposed to sort of slinking around in shame. Ah, I love that. The, The goal of that sounds really beautiful and what everyone ideally will have, which is a rich and fulfilling sex life and intimate life um, yes. on, on their own terms that's healthy and that feels good and doesn't hurt anyone and all that. You have a, a weekend coming up, a weekend workshop. Could you tell us about that? Yes. Um, this is a Women's Love Addiction Weekend Workshop. Um, we've been doing this now for, I don't know, three or four years. We do it once a quarter, and it's always full. And we've got women coming from all over the country and Canada, and it's a really fun, dare I say, workshop where um, we only take 10 women and um, we look at their, you know, problematic sexual behaviors, the messages they got, a lot of what we're talking about here. Um, We help them make a sexual plan 
to stop engaging in those behaviors. We talk a lot about this issue of mother hunger, um, of what it means to not have had a mother really steward us into girlhood and adulthood and, you know, how women will often seek those needs by way of sex. Um, and what they're really missing is connection to themselves and other women. Um, and a lot of the workshop is based on Kelly McDaniel's book, Ready to Heal, which talks about mother hunger. Um, and then we talk about body image. Uh, we show lots of fun video clips. We serve lunch. And then the last day, we talk all about healthy sex. And we've got tons of sex toys and lube and, um, you know, the you know uh, the Hitachi magic wand as the grandmother of sex toys. Oh, my gosh. People love that yeah. toy. And it's so, a favorite of so many. Yeah. And yeah. so we really tried to, you know, have a trajectory in that workshop from looking at unhealthy, problematic sexual behaviors to what does healthy sex and pleasure look like. And I believe our next workshop is in April, right? Oh, here it is. It's April 24th through 26th. Perfect. Perfect. So I hope that people will sign up, and I will leave a link down in the show notes. Is there a simple way to point people to information, your website perhaps? Yeah, the website is centerforhealthysex.com, and the phone number is 310-843-9902. Beautiful. Thank you for the work that you do and for joining mm. me today. Would you leave us with uh, one bit of advice around deepening sexual pleasure through intimate connection, which I know is another area of your expertise? Well, I would say that this starts 100% with yourself. How do you deepen your practice every day? And one of the things I've been doing a lot of lately is um, morning asanas, morning sun salutations, like waking up with the sun, waking up with my partner and honoring my partner, uh, meditation, um, the way that I prepare my breakfast. I've been trying to slow everything down and be intentional and notice the sensuality and the beauty in life. It's everywhere. And we can start to cultivate that inside of ourselves, whether it's the masculine or the feminine or both. I mean, I know for myself, I'm in a very masculine and driven business. And I have a lot of masculine energy. So I don't want to just topple over into that. I want to bring the feminine to my day-to-day -day practices in life. Um, and that is so important so that when we meet our lover, um, the lover in ourselves, for starters, then we can bring that energy to our sex life. Mm -hmm. So we're not waiting for somebody to do something to us or someone to be romantic with us. We're already arriving full of our sexuality, our sensuality, and our pleasure. Ah, I just drank that up. I'm going to do that, too. I, w I love the idea of starting your day that way mm, yeah. because that's something that feels very vacation to me, like vacation-like. Right. But why just do it on vacation? Well, Just, what I've know. had to do is get up earlier, which is torturous. But if I get <laughs> up at 6.15 in the morning, yeah. it's dark and I hate it. But I put on my yoga clothes uh -huh. and I start. And as the sun rises, I'm like, wow, it's like vacation. Uh, yes. And so that the first hour of my day is devoted to practice. Mm -hmm. And you can make it whatever you want it to be. Uh, and set the tone yeah. for the day. Thank you again. Thank you, August, for having me. And if you enjoy Girl Boner Radio, please do hit subscribe if you haven't and leave us a rating and review. I also have a new Instagram, newish Instagram, Girl Boner Media. If you'd like to see some highlights, quotes, I'll have some video coming soon. And I'd love to have you join me there. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week. 
Girl Boner Radio is owned, operated, and executively produced by me, August McLaughlin, with technical producer and audio extraordinaire, Mackenzie Mazel, as part of the Period Podcast Network, an affiliate of Starburns Industries. Learn more about the Girl Boner podcast, brand, movement, and book series at girlboner.org, and more about Period at periodnetwork.com. 